0: Hey, I'm glad you guys are here tonight. Uh, go ahead and grab your Bibles or your cell phone, turn to James chapter 2. As you're looking, I wanted to give you, I just kind of, I don't know, I had this whole outline, this whole introduction written out, and I decided instead of, of doing that, I'm just going to tell you what's been going on in my life in the last week. It's really simple, I can sum it up in just one word, and that word is this, pollen, Hopefully a few of you are there with me. Uh, it's, it's been real. It's been real. I haven't breathed out of this nostril in about five days. Uh, so I tell you all this to say tonight, I'm a little sick. Right, I'm a little sick. I got, I got my water back here. I'm probably going to cough. My wife has let me know that apparently I have like an ear-piercing cough. So if I do that into the microphone and it hurts your ears, I'm letting you know now, I'm sorry. Uh, But I just don't know that I can get my microphone off and back on in in time to do that. So tonight we're going to be in James chapter 2. All this, uh, for the last few weeks we've been talking about faith. We've been talking about what faith looks like, what it is, what it means for our life. Loved last week uh, Brian coming and speaking. Uh, Dude was awesome. I hate that I have to follow him up this week. Um, But he brought a good word about faith in, in the midst of trials. And how just because we have faith in God doesn't mean that God's just going to give us everything we want. That faith is given to us so that when we go through these trials, we can trust God. The week before, Timothy talked about faith being trusting in God's promises. Right? We have faith in God because he has told us he will do certain things. Now, he hasn't told us that he'll give us tons of money. He hasn't told us that he'll give us a car or or a job or good grades. But what he has told us is he can give us faith, hope, love. And he has told us that through Jesus, he will save us. And this is something we can believe. We can trust the things God has promised to us. Well, tonight we're going to take a little bit different spin on on James. We're going to be in James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. James chapter 2, verse 14. And in this this passage, James is going to warn the church, challenge the church to have an active faith. Because the question we're really going to think about is, what do you do with with the person, the Christian, who claims to be a Christian, but there doesn't seem to be anything backing that up? You know what I mean? Someone who says they're a Christian, but, but doesn't really have any kind of life that backs it up. So James 2, 14, James says this. Now, James, the book of James is a letter written to churches. Now, it's not like your typical letter. It's, it's more like, almost like a sermon, right? James is, is a, a little bit of a sermon, but it's, it's, scholars say it's more like wisdom literature. And so James will say one thing and then he'll just like kind of switch topics really fast and go on to the next topics, and then he'll, he'll change again really fast. It's, it's a little bit like the book of Proverbs, all right? James is a really practical guy. So if you want to know, like, all right, I believe in Jesus. I just don't know what to do. Sit down and read the book of James. It helps you. So James chapter 2, verse 14, he says this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So look at what he says. He says, what good is it if you say you have faith but do not have works? It's this question of what about those people we see who claim to have faith, but when it all shakes out, it doesn't really seem to impact what they do or who they are or how they live. But in this passage, in the verses we're going to read, we're going to read down through verse 26. I see an invitation. I see an invitation to a different kind of faith. An invitation to live a faith that is active. All right, so let's read the whole passage, then we're going to walk through it step by step. James 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Y'all pray with me. (coughs) God, I ask that you help us to understand this passage tonight. God, more than anything else, I ask for each person in here that their faith will work. That their faith will be active. And because of the faith you have given them, God, I ask that they go out and do good things for your glory. And ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, so let's try to understand this passage. The first thing that that James wants us to understand and these verses we read is this. It's simple. All right, when it comes to faith, faith is more than words. Faith is more than words. Here's what he asks. He says, what good is it if you say you have faith? but do not have works, can that faith save you? Now, I want to be really clear. This is an important thing he's talking about because he asks, what kind of faith can save you? And there may be some of you in here tonight that are wondering that very thing. Do I, what do I need to do to be saved? How, what kind of faith do I need to have to be saved? And so this is an important question, essential question, and James says this. Look, words alone accomplish nothing. Words by themselves can't do anything. They accomplish nothing. Because he gives you this example. He says, if a brother or sister, so another Christian, someone else who comes to church is poorly clothed, they come in, lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, but you don't give them the things they need, what good is it? Think about it this way. If one of you were to come in here on a Wednesday night, and you clearly are like freezing, sleeping outside, You haven't eaten in a week, and you come up to me and you say, Drew, man, I need some help. I'm so, so hungry and I'm so cold. And I were to look at you, put my hand on your shoulder, and say, Bro, just go outside and be warm and be full. Now, see you later. And then I felt like really good about myself, you know? I haven't done anything. Right? All I did is just, just said some words. But because I didn't do anything, my words accomplished nothing. But if I'd, if I'd said to you instead, I got a jacket, you can have it. I got a sleeping bag I'm not, I'm not using. Heck, I've got a spare bedroom, you can come sleep in it. My wife will cook you dinner tonight. Now my words, be warm and be full, because there was action to back them up. My words accomplished something, but my words by themselves Accomplish nothing. Words alone accomplish nothing. In the same way, faith that is words only accomplishes nothing. Are you with me? Faith that is just words, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything. Verse 17 says, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It doesn't do anything. So, what does this mean? I think the main thing James wants us to understand is is faith is more than just words. It's more than just saying, Oh, yeah, I believe in God. Oh, yeah, I trust God. And this is important that James wants to tell us this because Christians are great at saying stuff, Christians are really good at saying things, and they're really, really good at giving the right answers. Y'all, I was that kid in Sunday school who knew the right answer to every Bible question. Right? I knew when that Sunday school teacher like, would, would you know, toss up a question, I'd be like, Jesus, and slam it to the ground. That was me. I always knew the right answer. But that didn't mean it changed the way I lived. didn't mean it changed what, what I did. Faith? Is words, right? Words are essential. But faith is words plus action that matches the words. Faith is words plus action that matches the words. It's talk plus walk, right? You can't just talk the talk. You got to walk the walk. So what, this, what does this mean for you if you're sitting in here tonight and you would say like, yeah, I'm a Christian. What does this mean for me? Well, I think it, one great way to apply this to your life as Christians, you need to check your talk. You need to check your talk. Now, here's what I mean. If I were to say that I love Jesus' forgiveness, I love that I'm a Christian saved by grace and that Jesus has forgiven me. right? If I say that, and every Christian in here, you should, you should say that. That's a good thing to say. But if I say that, and yet I will not forgive someone who has hurt me, Something ain't right here. Because on one hand, I'm saying, yeah, I love forgiveness from Jesus. But on the other hand, I'm not giving it to someone else. So what needs to happen? Something's got to change, right? Because either I don't believe, I don't actually believe this because my actions are denying my words. Or instead, I need to check my talk and say, all right, I'm professing this thing, but I'm not living it out. So instead, I'm going to change my actions. See what I'm saying? I have to do this in my life all the time. All right, I'm saying I'm believing this thing, but what I'm doing over here doesn't actually match it. So I need to change what I'm doing because I know this is true. So Christians, this is a constant process in your life, of checking your talk so that you can make sure you're walking what you're talking. Faith is more than just words. But there's a second point that James gives us here. And it's this, it's that works demonstrate our faith. Works demonstrate our faith. And James, in verse 18, is he brings up an argument that, that someone might give. He says, well, someone might, might say, you have faith and I have works. In other words, one person has faith, but, but another can have works. And what James wants you to see is that someone may try to make this argument that that you can separate faith from work. So they can be two just completely different things. And here's what James says in verse 18. He says, if someone says this, I say to them, show it to me. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So James looks at that person who says, well, you have faith. I have works. And James says to them, prove it. Prove it to me. Show it to me. Show me what you got. All right? If you say you have faith, show me. And the reason he says that is because you can't show someone you have faith without doing a work. It's impossible. Our works demonstrate a person's faith. And the reason is because they're an outward expression of an inward change. All right? Works are an outward expression of an inward change. I want to give you an example. I want to tell you a story about the time I turned 13 years old. Not a good time in my life, as many of you who are 13 know and understand about that year. So my parents, my parents are awesome people. They are are some of the best parents, the best parents I could have asked for. But at the same time, they did some weird stuff, all right? I was homeschooled, blame it on that. Those of you who are homeschooled, you feel feel what I'm talking about right now. So when I was 12 years old, my mom got it into her head that she wanted my 13-year-old birthday party to be this thing that like symbolized somehow my becoming an adult, you know, becoming a man. So she plans this party out at this camp with all of our like friends and family, and she invites all these people, and she invites all the men who come to give a speech to me about what it means to be an adult. Basically, it was like, I guess it was kind of, I've never been to one, but I guess it was like a bar mitzvah, except I didn't even like get the awesome part where everyone like holds me up in a chair and dances around the room and says Mazel Tov and all that. I've only like seen it in the movies, but that would have been cool. Now, this is what my mom wanted, right? She wanted like this touchy uh, moment where like there, she would cry and like think about, oh, my little boy's growing up and all this, this kind of thing. What I wanted was cake, Star Wars figures, And above all else, to not be embarrassed. That is not what happened. I begged her not to do it, but it was done. Right? That is what was happening. And looking back, like, yeah, okay, it was a little weird. I I know that. But at the same time, when I look back, I I understand. My, My parents had this idea where, okay, you're turning 13 now. Something about you on the inside... Has fundamentally changed. Once before this point, you were a child. All right, you depended on us for everything—your food, your clothes, shelter, all of that. You were a child, but now it's changing. You are becoming an adult. This was something that was that was happening on the, the inside, right? Like, yeah, I was getting taller. I, I, you know, got a mustache and all that stuff, right? But like this was an inside change of becoming an adult. And after that point, my parents would would say things like, Drew, you can't keep doing that. You're becoming an adult. And so they had this expectation that because of this change that was happening on the inside, that the way I acted, right, the the outward was going to start changing to match what had already happened on the inside. You understand what I'm saying here? This is faith. Faith is is an inward change. Something that that happens that that cannot be seen by someone else. It can only be seen by God. But what that change that happens first produces is good works done for others. It's a slow change. It's a gradual change, right? I didn't move out of my parents' house and start driving a car at 13. But stuff started changing. James wants us to understand that if you have faith on the inside, it's something that can only be demonstrated on the outside. And he says this: he says, and this is this is hard. You believe that God is one? That's good. But even the demons believe that. And they shudder. And when when James says you believe God is one give you a little context here. This was called part of what the Jewish people, the people of God, like all these stories in the Old Testament about God working through his people, that was the Jewish people. So in the book of Deuteronomy, there's this statement that the Jews refer to as the Shema. It's a statement of belief, the core belief of what it meant to be a Jew. And the statement was this, God is one. And this was a big statement to make back then because everyone worshiped a lot of gods, except for the Jewish people. So to the Jews, if you would make this statement of God is one, then you believed the right sorts of things. But Here's what James is saying. Simply believing, having the right beliefs about God, it's not enough. It's not enough. It's good, but guys, even the demons believe that God is real. So you may be here tonight and be like, I'm good, I'm a Christian, I believe that God is real. But that alone is, is not all that being a Christian is about. Faith is more than simply believing that God exists. So what we may be wondering now is what's the right way forward? Where do we go? What are we to do? And, and the thing, I, I think this is the heart of of this passage, is simply this. Let your faith work. Let your faith work. You see, guys, faith will lead us to action. Faith will lead us to action. The opposite is, is also true. Faith that has no outward expression. James is saying, really, it's not faith. It's not faith. Verse 20, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say you foolish person, you guys. That's James talking. I'm not as mean as, as James apparently is. But it's, he's asking a question, all right, do you want to see it? Do you want to see what I'm talking about? And then he gives two examples. He gives you two pictures. So he is kind of nice. He's like, all right, you want to see it? I'll show you. Verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that said Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. And the reason is, is simple because this is going to be our Bible study curriculum for this week. So if you go to one of our Bible studies, there's a good, good chance they're going to be talking about Abraham and Isaac. The other reason is because I really like the next example that James gives here. He says this, And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Now you may not know the story of Rahab, but I love this story. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab your Bibles and turn back to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. Here's what's going on in the book of Joshua. This is Old Testament, so this is stuff that happened before Jesus. Joshua chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1. Joshua is the guy who followed Moses. Moses led the Jewish people out of slavery in Egypt, up to the promised land. But then Moses died before they get to the land that God has promised, and Joshua's the one who's going to lead them in. So Joshua leads the people to their first challenge, the city of Jericho. Jericho is this massive city with with big walls that's never been conquered, okay? And so Joshua and the people approach the city of Jericho, and they're thinking, all right, we're here what do we do? God tells them, march around the city, and they do it. But before this happens, there's the story of Rahab. Read with me in verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shatim as spies, saying, go ahead, view the land, especially Jericho. So Joshua sends two spies to go check out this city they're thinking about taking. So the two spies went and they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. But it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. So notice these two things. Rahab was a prostitute and Rahab was a Canaanite. All right. Now it doesn't say here Rahab's a Canaanite. But the land that Joshua and the Israelites are going into is the land of Canaan. So that makes her a Canaanite. Now, what I want you to know is this. God told the Israelites to kill every single Canaanite because of the evil that they had done for the last 400 plus years against his name. God waited 400 years patiently for them to repent. They didn't, and God said, it's time. You are going to punish them for me, and you're to kill every single one of them. So Rahab, under a death penalty. She is a prostitute and a Canaanite under a death penalty. All right, that's the kind of person we're talking about here. I want you to get that. Verse 3. The king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid on the roof. So basically Rahab does just a, they went that away, right? It's like a cartoon while she's got them up on the attic. So understand this, Rahab just lied to the king of Jericho. This was her king, her people. She just lied to that king. The king finds out what's going to happen. She's dead. Verse 8 through 15, Rahab tells us why she did it. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. They are terrified of you. For we have heard how the Lord God dried up the water of the Red Sea before you. When you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites. Who were beyond the Jordan. To Sihon and Og whom you killed. And as soon as we heard it our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God. He is God in the heavens above. And on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, We will deal kindly and faithfully with you. See what happened? Rahab believed that God would do what he said. And then she trusted the men that he had sent. She believed that God said he would do. That God would do what he said he would do. And then she trusted him. So a few takeaways from this story that I think are really important. The first is this. You can trust God no matter who you are. You can trust God. Have faith. Have saving faith. No matter who you are. No matter what you've done. No matter where you've been. No matter what you're in the middle of right this moment, right this second. And the reason I say that is because Rahab was a prostitute. Any of you putting prostitutes on the front of your list for people who deserve to get into heaven? I'm not. But this is the woman that James is saying. One of two examples of people with powerful, active, saving faith is a prostitute. You don't have to be any type of person to have faith and trust God. Doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't matter what your life is like. It can start now, tonight, today. Don't care what your story is. Trusting God doesn't require you to be a certain type of person. And the second thing I want you to see is this. God doesn't even expect perfect trust. He doesn't expect perfect trust. The example that James uses of active faith is a woman who just lied. Did you catch that? Rahab lied to the king. Some of you are like, wait a minute, that's wrong. Lying is is wrong. But think about what she's doing. Think about it for just a second, okay? To her mind, she is so confident that God and his people are about to come in and wipe out this city. That she tells a lie to the king of Jericho. The ruler of her people, who the moment is found out is going to put her to death. If I were in that situation and the king came to me, I can't say that I wouldn't have said, dude, I'm afraid of you. I'm going to give you these two guys right here, right now. But Rahab so believed in God that she was willing to risk certain death from the king. And fall on God's mercy. She betrayed her people. Because she knew they were in the wrong. And the people of Israel were in the right. But guys, she didn't do it perfectly. She told a lie. And I know when I look at my life, I I didn't come to God in the perfect way. Right? It wasn't like I had everything together. And I had 100% pure motives. I simply came to God and said, my best is not good enough. That's why I need your grace and I need your favor and I need your son, Jesus, because he was good enough. He was good enough. So God doesn't expect perfect trust. So you don't have to sit back and wonder, am I trusting him enough? Have I I done it all right? It's simply saying, got him in your hands and I trust you. Third, Thing we learn from the story of Rahab active faith is choosing to live your life based on what God has promised active faith is choosing to live your life based on what God has promised Rahab knew God had promised to destroy Jericho so she simply figured out a way to get on God's favor to receive God's mercy and receive his protection what ends up happening is that this prostitute, Rahab, if you turn to Matthew chapter 1, you have like one of those genealogies. And -and so-and-so, the father of so-and-so. And and -and so-and-so, the father of so-and-so. And it's the genealogy of Jesus. It's all Jesus' ancestors. And on that list is a woman, Rahab. This Canaanite, this sinful person who deserved death, was to receive the penalty of death, becomes an ancestor of Jesus because she believed God and threw herself on his mercy. Now, I want to do one last thing. <coughs> too often can misunderstand this passage. And so I brought this way too big board um, over here. It's actually about to fall apart. I, I drug it earlier, and like it popped out, and the whole thing fell sideways for a second. So I hope that doesn't happen right now. Um, but I, I like drawing, and it helps me a little bit. Here's, here's how we often, when we read this passage, or even when we think about faith in general, we misunderstand it. Because we, we start here. We think, I have to work really hard to be good enough. I have to do lots and lots of works to be good enough for God. So this is this is what we think. And we think if if I'm if I'm doing well here, right? If I'm if I'm doing good enough, then I, my faith is strong. If I'm if I'm good here, then, then my faith must be strong. And then I've got God's acceptance. This is how I think a lot of us in this room think. And and most of us, even if we don't like, even if we know maybe this isn't true, we just keep getting pulled back to this. If if my works are good, then my faith is good and I've got God's acceptance. But if, if I'm not doing so hot in the works department right now, then then maybe I'm not so strong and maybe God's like, he's not really happy with me. He's just kind of sitting up there and he's like, maybe ready to hit me with a lightning bolt. I'm not too sure. Because I got this wrong. But what I want to give you is a little different picture. I want to give you the biblical picture of faith. Because here's here's where it starts. We have faith. We have heard the good news about Christ. And we believed it. We've accepted God's promises as true. And because we have this faith. The Bible teaches us this. We're accepted. Accepted by God. Done. If you have faith, you're accepted. And then you begin acting in obedience. You start doing works. Right? And these works, they're not perfect. It's not like, Man, I read my Bible four hours today. I'm killing it on works. Right? Maybe you're like, man, I got in like two minutes this morning on my app, but I'm trying to spend some time in God's word and I'm trying to grow. That is a work of faith. But, but hear me out. The reason I want to put this thing in the middle is because God's acceptance of you is based on you having faith. And because I have faith, I know I'm accepted by God and I want to go out and do good things for his glory i want to go out and do good things for his glory and one of the things i love about this guys is that i'm gonna i'm gonna put god's acceptance up here you, you know that says acceptance is we talked about this week one right we talked about how god is the one who gives us faith and so the good news is your faith is good enough and god gave it to you and now he's accepted you go out and do good it's not always going to be perfect some days you may not get it right, and it's not like God's up there. Man, I'm about to smite him. You're accepted. Go out and do good. And it's essential, essential that you get this order right. Because if you don't, you're constantly going to be working to earn God's approval that you already have. And you're going to wear yourself out when you can simply experience God's forgiveness. I love that. True faith trusts that God has saved. True faith trusts that God has saved you. Then it turns around and begins acting like it's already done it. It says, I know God has changed me fundamentally on the inside. So now I'm going to turn around and start doing it. Turn around and start doing it. You guys pray with me. God, I thank you that you have brought us here tonight to think about faith. Father, I pray that you help us to have an active faith, that because of what you have done in our lives, we are free to do good for your glory. God, I pray that no person in here will try to do to earn your approval, because God, your approval is given to us freely through Jesus. Father, I pray that we are a people who does good and does it constantly. Father, I ask all these things, In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.